welcome to episode 614 of The Sleeper and the Bust. I am Justin Mason, joined by Jason Collette and special guest Ian Khan. Ian, how you doing, my friend? I am really well, my friend, and I'm so glad to be on with you guys. Well, it's pretty awesome to have you, as always. Uh, and Jason, how are you? Hey, it probably helps if I come off mute. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so I'm doing fantastic. I know this is a baseball podcast, but just as we were starting, uh, ESPN just announced the college game day is coming to UCF this coming weekend. And that's huge for us. So everybody will get to see just how beautiful my alma mater is. And uh, as we go for the 23rd consecutive win, and longtime listeners of this podcast will remember when my team couldn't win a game. Now we've won 23 in a row, and if we can beat Cincinnati this coming weekend, it will clinch the American Athletic Eastern Division title uh, for a second consecutive year. And uh, I'm stoked. College game day on UCF. We've talked about it for years. I mentioned it like six weeks ago to a good friend of mine. I said, hey, it's lining up. We keep winning. It could happen. They just announced it, so I'm in a great mood now. Oh. Plus, I'm talking to you again. I haven't spoken to you in five weeks. I know. It's been a long time. Unfortunately, life has kind of taken over for me, and you and I haven't been able to uh, get together. But that will change, and we will continue to do our Sunday show from now until eternity. And yes. This, <laughs> and this week we have Ian. Uh, and Ian, why don't you tell people, for, the, for those who might be newer to our program, Tell people a little bit about yourself uh, and uh, kind of what you do in the real world, but then also uh, your your chops in terms of fantasy. Uh, well, you know, I'm I'm a professional actor. That's uh, I one of the recent jobs I did was I played uh, General George Washington on a show called Turn Washington Spies, which was on AMC for four years, and you can watch on Netflix at least for now. You can catch all four seasons of it, and I would recommend it. It's a it's a really uh, fun show. Um, Fantastic and, show. And Justin Mason and Jason Collette both uh, are were fans of the show, which is which is appreciated. Um, and in the fantasy baseball world, you know, I, I play in redraft leagues. Um, and but what, what I really love doing, and the thing that I'm sort of, you know, I think, known for most is the dynasty world. And I uh, I team up with James Anderson in RotoWire Dynasty Invitational. Uh, and I'm in the uh, Dynasty League One, uh, which is a, a league with Halpin, John Halpin, and uh, a, a number of uh, great players there. And uh, Roto Masters League, and and just joined Walter McMichael in the Friends with Fantasy Benefits 30 Man 30 Team League, which has been very fun and very enjoyable. And we're uh, we're off to a rollicking start. Yes, Walter's got an interesting team, interesting strategy, uh, right up your alley, definitely prospect-heavy early on in the initial draft. Uh, I'm going to have to have words with Walter, because th this is our staff league, and somehow he is <laughs> brought in a ringer from outside the staff, so uh, I'm going to have to have you fill out a W-4. And, happy to fill out a W-4, you know it. Um, and, 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 and we'll have to get this all figured out, but... Uh, you are a great dynasty player. You guys almost pulled off a huge coup in the RotoWire Dynasty Invitational. Yeah. Um, and so we will definitely talk uh, a little bit about kind of uh, some some prep, especially for keeper leagues, because I uh, we had, I had a question on Twitter if or someone requests that we talk a little bit about how we do our our prep for the upcoming season. So 
Uh, but first, uh, we haven't all talked, and Jason and I haven't talked since the the World Series wrapped up. And Ian, you said you had some strong feelings on the World Series, so I'm gonna let you kind of lead things off and kind of give me uh, your, your your hot take. What is your hot take after the World Series has ended, and we're now in the doldrums of the off season? Well, I have to say that I'm a New York Yankee fan from birth. You know, my father grew up in Washington Heights, New York. Uh, and so I sort of suffered through the Steve Kemp years in the early 80s. So <laughs> Steve Kemp. Starting at first base. <laughs> it was not a good time. It was not a good time. Um, and the late 80s with Dallas Green and the great years with, with Jeter. It's been an amazing time to be a Yankee fan these last couple of years with the influx of new players. Uh, with Aaron Judge, of course, Luis Severino. And the team is in, 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 a, in a great – we're in a great – area like we're going in the right direction very similar to Colette's team with the Rays who I I think are just awesome and if they were in a different division we would be talking about them as a a playoff contender and we should be talking about them as a playoff contender anyway for next year yes all that being said and 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 with Wander Franco and with this the the farm system they have down there at the Rays they're they're going to be players for a long time I'm I'm and you know as for you Jay I'm happy about that but the the Boston Red Sox have to go down as one of the best teams uh, certainly in my lifetime and in the history of baseball. And the thing that, that I went to, I was lucky enough to go to all of the playoff games for the Yankees and watching that outfield defense, I've never seen a better outfield defense in my life. And I think that that was one of the things that separates them uh, as one of the best teams because they were taking doubles away on a regular basis. They, they were, if J.D. Martinez was in left field, as opposed to Benintendi in left field, you know, it, it's a totally different team. It's a totally different experience, but they really go down as one of the best teams in baseball. Also, from the Yankees' perspective, I am Aaron Judge is my favorite player playing today, my favorite player to watch. Uh, and I look at my older son and I watch the games, and we're just grateful that we, I'm grateful that my son gets to watch Aaron Judge grow up and play baseball. Love him. That choice at the end of game two in Boston after he hit the home run to walk through the freaking boom box singing New York, New York. And everyone's like, well, I'm not sure if that really had an effect. Well, I'll tell, I'll tell you this. The moment that the Boston Red Sox beat the Los Angeles Dodgers in Los Angeles, what did they do? They played New York, New York. So as far as I'm concerned, that was the rallying cry for this great team. And it, in some ways it's exciting because this is on Judge's back in my eyes. And I'd like to see, I'm, I'm curious to see how he responds coming into this next season. And um, and I, I have great belief in him, but I think this was a, a, a very bad mistake. I think baseball is a psycho, is a physical game, of course, but it's a psychological game as well. And these psychological edges make a huge difference. Um, and so, yeah, that's one thing that I, I really felt. And I have other thoughts about Machado. I think we're going to talk yeah, about that later. Well, we'll get to Machado because we're going to talk about some of the uh, top MLB free agents uh, later on in the show. But, Jason, do you want to wrap up this World Series chatter? You have to get off mute first. I keep doing that. Uh, as i got to put my barf bucket down. I mean, as much as I hate Boston, I have to agree with what Ian said. It is They were, yeah, as a Rays fan, I have to always hate them and look for something to hate. But, man, was that team well-constructed. Uh, yeah, the, Couple of things that stood out to me. I agree with the outfield defense when they when they had when they had Betts and Jackie Bradley Jr. and Benintendi out there. Balls just went to die pretty much. Uh, it's just really impressive to watch how they do that. Joe Kelly, I thought, really upgraded his stock because there were times this year where Joe Kelly couldn't be trusted. 
And then Joe Kelly comes in the in the postseason and just shoves. Uh, you know, David Price was being booed at one point and then couldn't be hit in the postseason. Everything went. I would say just about everything went their way. I mean, the, the sale injury later in the year was the one thing that stood out. Like, okay, that didn't work out. Uh, you can point at Pedroia, but he was pretty much gone all year. Uh, and they, they just they did everything right in the postseason. It's just they kept doing it, and then. If something, if they had some adversity, it was it was maybe two minutes long, and then they just turned around and kept going. Uh, and when you start coming, when you start thinking about who's going to win 2019, it's tough to say, yeah, it's not going to be them. You got to kind of leave them up. Champs are on top, and until somebody proves otherwise, they stay there. Yeah, uh, I, I tweeted out, I believe, right before the World Series. Uh, that I thought that the defense had just been so spectacular that that would be a huge part of the difference between the two teams. Uh, as far as just my final thoughts, uh, and I, I think I've made this pretty clear, I hate the Dodgers. And so I'm, I'm, I'm very glad this ended the way it did. <laughs> I just hate the Dodgers. But uh, <laughs> let's, uh, let's talk about the offseason, because we are in the offseason now that the World Series has ended. Uh, and I, I did get a request to ask you guys and, and talk about how you kind of begin your off or your, your prep for the upcoming season. Uh, let's start with the redrafts. And Jason, what do you do uh, in this off season time to kind of start getting prepped for the 2019 season? Uh, I mean, this time I'm I'm working on uh, player capsules for Rotowire. So uh, and I ended up I probably end up writing. Right now, I have 125, and I am about 75% of the way through those. And they'll give me another 20. They'll give me batches of 25 from there. So then I end up doing about 200 uh, and all, sometimes 250. What I like about it is it, it forces me to look at guys I normally wouldn't have looked at or maybe something I missed. I mean, we can't. We can't know everything about 750 players. There are things you're going to miss, but when you sit down and write a capsule, it has to be more about, oh, this guy, you know, the homers went up, steals went down, strikeout. You got to look for something unique uh, to keep it. So that's what I like uh, doing is, is focusing on, on those guys first. And then as I try to see where those guys are in the in different rankings, then I start looking at those around them and trying to measure things out. So right now it's a lot of note taking. I, I I'm not I'm obviously not in any of the early mocks that are happening. I tried to do some last year. I had trouble keeping up. So I, I'm I'm forcibly removing myself from that process. And I'm not going to touch an early mock until January, but I'm still doing a lot of things right now, taking notes, writing things down. And then in January, I'll start organizing that around um, and, and putting extra check marks in different things, uh, stars. Now, one of, the, one of the observations I will make as we were talking about Arizona earlier, yeah, I was sitting behind Rob Silver uh, in, in, the, in the big ballroom and noticing he had Rotolab up and he was still taking notes in there. And that's why he's one of the best fantasy players there is i mean he's he's taking notes in november in the draft software he's going to use and i just thought that was incredibly impressive i usually end up keeping things uh different <laughs> notebooks or different things that i have with me and then i sit down and transfer it because i don't always have uh i don't always have my laptop or draft software uh with me but you know he, he's doing that in november that's why he's one of the best and uh, that's just how I do it. A lot of disorganization right now, but I start getting organized in January. Ian, what, what do you do uh, in terms of your draft prep when, you, when you're looking at getting ready for your redrafts coming up the next season? I like to look for the inefficiencies uh, in, in where people are drafting. 
So if, if it's in with uh, speed, right? Because I think speed is one of those things that as we get further and further uh, into this time period, uh, steals are becoming so much more valuable. So I'm, I'm trying to figure out what, what are people going to pay for steals? And, it, you know, you look at something like Mondesi, who people are grabbing now in the second or third round, which is a little crazy, but also somewhat understandable because the, the speed aspect of the game is so very important because you're not going to win championships if you're down at the bottom of, of steals. You know, you can, you can find uh, a lot of things over the course of the season. You can find power, you can find RBI, you can find batting average even, but steals is hard and it's hard to trade for them when you, when you need it. So I'm looking for those inefficiencies. Um, I'm checking out where people are looking at mocks and I have guys that I just like, you know, I have guys that I'm, I'm, that I like to watch when, not just like to watch, but when I watch them, I go, there's somebody special here. And so I start to accumulate those guys, try to figure out where they're going in the drafts and uh, plan accordingly or figure out where they're going. You know, like last year, Jason and I were, you know, we were so huge on Jose Martinez based on his 200 at bats in 2017. And for me, it was just watching the way the ball came off his back mm-hmm. uh, and watching him hit the ball the other way and, and saying this guy has great back control. So in the, uh, the Gotham league that Jason was the, um, uh, was the uh, MC auctioneer. right auction? Sorry, not <laughs> he was the auctioneer. Um, that he was the auctioneer for. Uh, you know, I Ronis Adam Ronis and I were fighting over Jose Martinez, who to me was going to be a fifteen to twenty dollar player coming into the season, and I was able to get him for seven dollars because everyone else wasn't on the same page with him. So I'm just trying to figure out the guys that I feel strongly about um, coming into the next year and, and see where everyone else is ranking them and say, all right, well, Jose Martinez, I, I can trust him to be my corner infielder and I can get him for cheap. So I can use that money in, in another spot. Hey, I got a question and this isn't on the agenda. Uh, but it's something I, it's something we discussed in Arizona and I heard, uh, Ian, you started off talking about it there about stolen bases. The question came up to a panel that I was on uh, that Ray Murphy and uh, Alex Chamberlain did uh, that Tristan Cockroft was hosting, and they asked about what do we do with steals. And I was of the mindset that I think steals come back this year because power's going down. I mean, we've seen power gone up, 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 and steals have gone down. But this season, homers went down. And and when that happened historically, when homers go down, steals go up because managers aren't – don't want to, you know, when the homer's going up, you're not going to give away that out. Uh, like having the guy throw on second base, so they're going to stand around. But as homers go down, steals go up. But I'm of the belief that steals are going to come up. Now, where they come from, I don't know. I mean, Mondesi, I think, went 42nd. Uh, I think Clay Link took Vlad and Mondesi in the second and fourth round uh, of a draft that he did. <laughs> Pardon me. But I, I think steals are going to come up. I just don't know where they're going to come from. And I wanted to, I wrote an article because uh, uh, Andrew uh, Perpetua mentioned it, or Perpetua mentioned it uh, in the as a question in the audience, and I remember writing something about it at Rotowire. You know, the home run rate. He uh, Andrew said, you know, early because he writes for, he does a Met specific blog, and and he he said in mid April I noticed that the rate was down and it stayed down. I wrote an article I think the second week of April, maybe April seventh, April tenth, and I said, hey, out of the gate, home runs are down. Now it maybe it's weather, but then I went back and looked at the last seven or eight seasons, and if the home runs were down in the first two weeks of the season, they stayed down in all but one season, and in that one season. It was a 0.1% gain. 
uh, at the end. So th- that's one of the things we could pick up early on. And I think it's a, it's worth reminding here, if we see home runs stumbling out of the gate again, uh, it may be worth your time to be aggressive and st- on fab with stolen bases or try to make some acquisitions. If you drafted, uh, if you were, if you were light on steals and you went for the power, uh, keep an eye on that early trend because it has held up very well over the past seven, eight seasons. That's that's, that, yeah. That's a really interesting trend. Cause, uh, uh, that's not something I would have thought, considering the the coverage of home runs. I'll give you the link to the article. That yeah. way, you can put it in the show notes. But also, but I, you know, one, one thing I think people miss sometimes on stolen bases is not just how many stolen bases you have, but what is your what is your stolen base percentage? Mm-hmm. Because that's actually going to be determinative as the season goes on. You look at somebody like Manuel uh, Margot. That man, who is super fast, and we were expecting 30 to 40 steals out of coming into last year, he was getting thrown out 50% of the time. So when that starts happening, they're, they're not going to let him run anymore. They're going to say, well, right. you know, maybe, maybe you should, maybe you just hang out there. You just hang out there. Maybe we'll, we'll bunch over. And, and so that's something that we need to be, you know, also very mindful of. That's why a guy like Whit Merrifield, I just want to say that name really, Whit Merrifield, is so incredibly valuable. Because I mean, his stolen base percentage was was excellent, and he was running at every moment last year, and it, certainly in the last like six weeks of the season. So you know, those guys, those, those speed guys are incredibly valuable because nobody's gonna, people aren't gonna be giving away outs if you're not able to steal at a seventy percent rate. You're not gonna be able to go. They're gonna say, no, you you go when we tell you, and what we're looking for are guys who can just go. Hey, do we think, what do we think about Malik Smith going to Seattle? How is that going to impact his running game? I mean, obviously Kevin Cash let him, uh, to your point about Whit Merrifield, uh, you know, Ned Yost letting Whit run as much as he wanted to. Uh, and, you know, Kevin Cash let Malik Smith do it because he was on base a ton. But now that he goes to Seattle, uh, I wonder how what you guys think of that impact. And another note quick about Ned Yost. I saw a note uh, in the, the other day that Ruben Amaro Jr. It will be advising Ned Yost. No, no, Mike Matheny will be advising Ned Yost in a role this coming season. And if he touches the running game, oh my God, there's going to be there's going to be a fantasy explosion. People are going to just go, no. That's the one thing we love about Ned Yost. The Royals are terrible, but God, Ned Yost lets anybody run anytime they're on base. I know personally, I I think, and I said on uh, the the podcast on Friday with Paul. Uh, I think it's kind of a lateral move for for Malix. Maybe they don't let him run quite as much, but he isn't going to come out of the lineup as often. That's so true. I think he, he'll he'll get more plate appearances uh, at the end of the day and probably hit towards the top. And uh, I think it's a, a fairly lateral move for him uh, as long as he's not traded again, because the, this he has been traded to, you know already. <laughs> Buys. Yeah, he's been with the Mariners three days. I mean, that's a record. Last time it was seventy-seven minutes. <laughs> and speaking of the Mariners, and speaking of the, just speaking of stolen bases, looking at D. Gordon, and talking about the psychological part of the game, right? Because that's something that, as an actor, I'm always looking at it. I'm I'm always looking at fantasy baseball the way that I look at characters. So I look at baseball players, and I say, oh, "What's going on here? Why is he in this? In, why is he behaving? Like, why is he playing like this?" If you look at the fight that John Segura and D. Gordon had, I think it was in late August. Um, where, you know, D. Gordon closes the door and says, excuse us, and then goes in and the two of them start swinging at each other. After that date, I don't believe he stole more than two bases for the rest of the season. He stopped running. He just didn't run. 
and he, you know, he was there, he showed up, he played ball. But I think that's a big reason why Malik Smith is on this team. And they've been talking about D Gordon being moved this off season. And I, I, definitely I think he think, will be. Yeah. I think that's definitely in the plans. And I'm hopeful that hopefully he'll go to Kansas city and they'll put Matheny, you know, they'll tie him up and say, you, you don't have any say here. And, and I think that is one of those things that I definitely will, you know, I kind of look at guys coming off of down years is always a great place. I, I'm trying to remember exactly where D Gordon has gone in some of my, uh, the, the two early mocks I did and the other mock drafts I've done, but he's going, uh, you know, four five, six, seven, you know, sometimes 10 rounds later than he went last season. And if he gets moved to a different situation where He's regularly batting up at the top of the lineup in a place that's going to let him run more. Uh, I'm going to have a ton of shares of D Gordon this year. Yeah, you cannot win. It's hard to win championships without that speed. I'm always trying to find uh, someone who's going to give me that 40 to 60 steals. It's, it's something that's really important and uh, ends up working out because you can win championships that way. If you don't have a good number of stolen bases, it's going to be tough. Uh, I know as far as uh, I go in terms of uh, draft prep, the first thing I always do at the end of a season, uh, I'm sure you guys do this too, is go through each one of my teams and figure out what what went right, what went wrong, and kind of try to see if I'm picking up uh, strategies, picking up uh, different themes throughout multiple of my uh, leagues and multiple of my teams that things either worked well or did not work well. And this was one of those years that lots lots of things did not work well. And so I, I uh, typically will start with that, and then I start working on projections. And, you know, I incorporate other projection systems like uh, Steamer's already come out with theirs. Uh, uh, Todd Zola has uh, his over at Masters Ball. I start looking at other people's projections, and I start making my own. Uh, and I'll, I'll be working on those all the way through uh, February, but, uh, like I've right now I've already got, uh, projections, um, and, uh, customized auction values, uh, that I'm using in, uh, you know, in, in the 30 team draft that we're doing in, uh, in a, I'm doing a draft, uh, a mock draft with Paul and Nick for uh, pitcherlist.com. Uh, He's got an experts, uh, draft that is moving really, really slowly. Um, and, uh, so, that's kind of how I start, and then I kind of do what Ian does. I, I start looking at the market inefficiencies. Where are the players like D. Gordon that I seem to like quite a bit more than the rest of the market? And I start making notes of guys that I feel are uh, a bit underrated and start uh, feeling a bit overrated. And then I kind of track their pro- progress uh, uh, through draft season. I kind of see, okay, is this guy's ADP steadily rising, steadily dropping? Uh, and what can I attribute that to? Yeah, and don't get suckered. <laughs> don't get suckered by, you know, just by somebody who, I mean, you look at Mondesi, I mean, maybe he is going to be a second-round player next year. Uh, and Clay Link, Clay Link is one of the best players that there is. I mean, Clay is amazing. So Clay, and I think he, you said he was a, it was a fourth-round pick that he used. That, that makes us yep. kind of sense to me. Um, but I see some people who are taking him in the middle of the second round in a 15-team league. I think it's very, uh, you know, if, if if I think it's a very ballsy move. <clears throat> we haven't seen the pitchers make their adjustments to Mondesi yet. Yep. And- here's the comp. Here's the comp that I dropped in Arizona. I comped Mondesi to Tim Anderson. 
And it actually created yep. some noise in the room. They were like, ooh, like eyes opened up. Because the question was, is he closer to Trey Turner or Brian Buxton? That was the comp that we were asked to speak about. Uh, and I said, I think he's Tim Anderson right now. Because I fell in, you know, I, I was a big believer in Tim Anderson when he first came up. I liked, I know that he came up quick. It went, it went against a lot of my established beliefs. Like, hey, let guys spend time at levels. Let's see how they adjust, getting to your point there, Ian. Uh, and we really, we saw some of that with Tim Anderson. But he came up and, yeah, he didn't take walks. But there was a lot of contact to his game. Uh, and there was early on. And then the league quickly figured out, he don't have to throw this guy strikes to get him out. Uh, and he kept, then he started pressing to get around that. And then really things fell apart. Uh, obviously, it helped Mondesi's case by playing a division where there was only one team in contention uh, all year. And so there were a lot of, there was a lot of inexperienced pitchers, but yet those guys are taking a step up. Now they have some experience under their belts and you can, let's see what they've got uh, coming on. I don't expect the, the AL central to be a complete wasteland uh, for, for good teams as it was this past season. I think people get better. I, you know, the twins bringing in Rocco Baldelli uh, should help them. And see let's see how they spend their money and, and use their, uh, use their pitchers and not leave guys like Jake Odorizzi in games too long, where he gives up too many home runs the third time through. Uh, and let's, let's go from there. But I'm, that's where I have, that's where I am in my Mondesi mindset right now. And I may be wrong. Like, I remember saying the same things about uh, Acuna last year. I, I didn't, I, I was risk adverse and I didn't grab him anywhere and he went off, but I have a hard time over overlooking that, that comp between Mondesi Jr. And, and Tim Anderson. Well, and if you look at the, I mean, there's huge differences between a guy like Acuna and a guy like Mondesi. And Mondesi was a guy that I liked coming into last year because he was cheap. He was dirt cheap. He was worth nothing uh, in, you know, on draft day. And so you could take a, a dollar flyer uh, or, or stash him in your deeper formats. But it, the skills profile is, is atrocious. I mean, the guy swings outside of the zone. He doesn't make a ton of contact. Uh, there's a lot of... Uh, luck that went into where how he got to where he was and uh, I mean you look at like steamers projections for him uh, they project him for a 291 on base percentage next season now they also project him for 42 stolen bases so it depends on do you believe that if a guy who is going to get on base uh, you know 30 percent of the time or less, is going to be able to steal that many bases. I have a hard time believing that he's going to get on base enough to steal 40, 40 plus bags. Uh, and just clarification, Clay took him in the third round, the the, the back end of the uh, the third back round. End. Oh, that was the 15th. So I think okay. the Anderson comp there is perfect because if you look at what Anderson did. Because I had him in the GDD league, right? And he really helped me get out. He and him and, and Ozzy Albies and these guys in the first half just rolled, right? They just rolled both of those guys, even though Albies wasn't stealing as many bases. But there was an adjustment made to both of those players. And what I see with Mondesi there is that same beginning of the season, that same first 200 at-bats. Maybe it was a little less, I think. And But then there was an adjustment. I think the Anderson comp is perfect. And, and I think that, you know, are you going to spend a second round pick on Tim Anderson? No, you're not. And nor should you. And I think that that's where I land with uh, with Mondesi as well. It's actually, but it's actually a perfect comp because, I mean, both yeah. guys don't walk. Both guys, 
strike out are going to strike out a ton. Um, both guys uh, swing and miss uh, quite a bit, so I, I think it's a it's a really nice comp. And uh, VR, it's similar to Jonathan VR, but VR at least can walk. VR has shown the ability to put up eight, nine, ten percent walk rates in the major leagues. Yeah, but he does have those up and down seasons, and sure. I think that that's what we're gonna. I think that's what we're gonna see. I think the, the difference between though for a guy like Mondesi and VR is Mondesi is a much better defensive player, and so VR will get himself in trouble uh, and and out of the lineup because he's so poor defensively. Yeah, but he's gonna be in that lineup in Baltimore because they're just so oh, poor. Oh, for sure. And I and I love oh. VR this year. I'm not I'm not trying to take anything away from him. I I love him this year. I love where he's going in drafts. I'm gonna have a hell of a lot more shares of VR than Tim Anderson and, and, and Mondesi. Yeah. I still like Tim Anderson. If you can get him at a good price, because I think he's going to steal you 30 bases and he's going to hit you 18 home runs. I worry a little bit about the power. I, the, the power really tailed off for him. Yeah. So yeah. Everybody did hit 20 home runs last year. He did hit 20 home runs, but 13 of them were in the first half. Yeah. So. And his stolen bases were there too. Yeah, they, the stolen bases really tailed off in the second half. He only had five stolen bases in the second half. Yeah. yeah. So I, 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 I'm a little bit more uh, cautious on, on Tim Anderson, though I always have been. So depends on the price. It depends on where for you can sure. get him. Yeah. Let's, uh, let's, let's move back towards our conversation about uh, prep for the upcoming season. Uh, start with you on this one, Ian, because you are a dynasty guy. Uh, I think much more so than. Uh, Jason and I. So, what do you what do you do differently for your prep for your dynasty leagues, uh, you know, and, and your keeper formats uh, as opposed to in redraft? Because I think for a lot of us who play in dynasty leagues, there is no real off season. So, talk a little bit about that. There is no off season, and it's the best, and it's the most fun, and it's what I spend most of my time doing. The thing is, it's all about currency for me in Dynasty Leagues. And part of the reason what you'll see with Walter and I, what we're doing right now, is we're really taking young bats. Because if you look at what we did with James Anderson and I did in Rotowire Dynasty Invitational, we took a team that did not have, um, we didn't have a full lineup for the first month of the season. Uh, In fact, we had like, out of 23, I think we had 12 players going. Because we had just young bats. We just took uh, Bichette. We took Lewis Brinson. We took uh, Royce Lewis. We took, you know, just young bats because there comes a point in the season, and we found in Rotowire Dynasty Invitational came a lot earlier, um, where teams start to fall out of it. And when they do, because everyone, many teams are drafting for the first season of a league. They're like, hey, I want to come out. I want to win. I'm going to get my best team. Well, then all of a sudden they've got their, their ace gets hurt. Two of their other guys get hurt and they're like, you know what? It's not going to happen for me this year. So what ends up happening then is they want to make moves for the future. And the currency and the best currency to use is young bats because young arms are dangerous. You know, if you invested yourself in AJ Puck and Michael Kopech going into last season, you're sitting on a bunch of Tommy John surgeries and you're going to be waiting another two years to see any value out of those guys. Whereas if you invested in Royce Lewis and you invested in Bo Bichette, even if they do get a little bit hurt, they're not going to be out for the year and they're going to continue to grow. And they're, they're so, so then all of a sudden you can make trades um, where you move those young bats and get established players. And we were able to build a team uh, around that. And we were able to create a team that had 40 points on May 1st 
And then we ended the season in a 20-team league with 165 points, down two points to Ryan Bloomfield, who had an amazing season and deserved the victory. Um, but but that's the that's the fun and that's the joy to me of Dynasty. Dynasty, especially with a startup Dynasty League, it's really about not necessarily buying your team right away, but um, you know, creating enough assets that you can then over time with smart, intelligent trading, create a dynasty because that's what that's what the league is about. It's not about winning one year. It's about winning five. Um, and that's what we're that's what we were going for. And, and hopefully going into next year, I think with the team that we have, I, I, I showed it to Jason. We were at uh, Foley's for game the game three of the World Series. And um, and I showed I showed him the team because that's what and you can build a great team because people want young bats and the roster's want- disgusting. Yeah, it's it, it, it's it's a bit unfair that league. It just uh, the the um uh, for 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 those who uh, remember the the TV show The League, there was a lot of uh, trade taking advantage of uh, in, in that uh, league. <laughs> no, no, no. It's everything is perspective. Everything yeah, is perspective. yeah, and that's the key to, to to trading to me. That's the that's the most you're exciting. You're very active and a very good trader, and you're a very good negotiator. Um, I, I'm not I'm not taking anything away from you. I think uh, uh, I think there were some people who who uh, traded with you that made some 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 rookie mistakes in trading. Um, so that that uh, definitely helped this you guys out. Expert friend they, these are all experts and they know what they're doing but 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 part of what i like to do in the offseason getting back to the original question is to scout you know and scouting is not for me just the numbers and it's it's not just for me the lists it's watching players right so youtube is my best friend um because you can see but the reason going back to the Jose Martinez because that's something Jason and I have in common, right? Because we were both like, "Oh my God, this guy!" It, it's watching the ball come off the bat. Now, yeah, it's there in the numbers as well, and exit velocity, and all these other things. But you know, I played ball growing up. I played all the way through high school. Played a bit into college, so I know the game, and I played the game, and I still, I, you know, I, I'm still very involved in, in playing fast pitch softball it's, it's it's a part of it's a major part of my life so i'm watching guys and i'm like do i want this guy on my do i want to be facing this pitcher or do i want this guy hitting behind me in the lineup and and i enjoy i enjoy that you know i i i remember looking at a film of peter alonzo last year and there's some talking rough lift shits wrote this great article about alonzo i was like all right let me look at alonzo i mean obviously i'd heard of him and i watched and then i watched the ball come off the bat and i watched him take the ball the other way and i was like this is a special ball player and and that dude is a massive human by the way he is you see him in person he has like popeye forearms and he's got he's got a weird body structure like he's got these you know for a guy that looks for a guy when you look at a scouting report you see a six five or six five six six big you, you would expect like a tight end build He's got these weird rounded shoulders, but everything else on him looks like assembled parts that your your young kid would put together when they're putting together like he you know the old toys where you could like hey I want to put some arms. <laughs> he's got like this giant these big thick legs and to go back to the live episode he's got great ass, right? Or high ass and then or high butt. Uh, I think it was that we were called his podcast sleeper in the butt, but then he's got these weird shoulders, but he's just big at the plate. And, you know, but one of the things that stands out with him 
first right-handed hitting first baseman and right-handed throwing first baseman. There's like this, if you go back and look for those types, uh, there's not that many. Uh, it, and that's and and defensively, he is a statue. He, he just doesn't move uh, that well. I mean, he can like, some plays that he could like, oh, wow, look at this play. It's because he took one step to his, his left and he was able to flash a glove in front of it. Um, but it's just weird to, that that plateau like Eric Carros comes to mind. Um, yeah. Frank Thomas would be another. But they're not that many righty right, right basemen. Uh, Albert Pujols, obviously, um, but there's a whole bunch of lefties, and that, that's just one thing. It's just weird to see him. He's a, he's a he's a, uh, a specimen, and he can definitely put some oomph behind a baseball. I mean, uh, Pearson threw one 103, uh, fastball at 103, and Alonzo went the other way. He went up there looking for a fastball, knew it was going to be 103, and he wasn't going to try to pull 103, but he hit a bomb to right center field in that in that Fall Stars game. Jason, what do you do differently, or do you do anything differently in keeper leagues? Or I don't, I don't know if you're in dy- any dynasty leagues. I know you're in a couple keepers. So, uh, do you do anything differently for your prep for those formats? Um, I try to. I will make. So I will make some plays thinking about a, a two-year window in a keeper league. Uh, I believe I talked to both of you about this one, but there was a, when I came into an NL league last year, I had a 24 or $27 Justin, uh, uh, Zach Grinke. And then I traded him for a $1, $1 Brandon Nimmo and a $2 Jose Martinez. That's yep. where I think that's where Ian and I started talking. I was like, Hey, I'm all in on this guy. In fact, here's the trade I'm going to make. Uh, and I finished in the, I didn't, I finished, uh, like fourth place in that league. I mean, again, I I I, I um, grabbed a team, but I was making a deal saying, okay, let's look at a two-year plan. It even worked out better than I thought it was going to be because this offseason we voted and changed the rules, and now it's an OBP league. So my $1 Brandon Nimmo takes a nice oh, jump in that regard. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, even Jose Martinez. So it, it worked out uh, even better for me. And Zach Greinke is now graduated. Uh, he couldn't be kept because it's a it's a strict three-year contract. There are no extensions. Oh, no it's long-terming. Yeah, there's no. So I'm playing. Uh, I'm, that's the format I'm looking at. So now I can keep both of these guys for three dollars, and they and they got a nice spike. But I'm always trying to look at that that two year, and even in that league, it, it, not that league, but other ones. If I look at my roster and say, you know what, it's going to be tough to contend this year, though, because I had a, maybe I had some guys graduate off, and it's like, okay, this is going to be tough. I will plan my draft around that two-year vision rather than trying to win this year. That way I'm hedging both of my bets. I may take some flyers on some young guys that may not have a clear path to playing time right out of the gate, but they could later. Uh, and that's that's the approach I use. I, I'm kind of the opposite of Ian in terms of dynasty leagues. I am a win-now kind of guy and screw the future. Uh, and, and sometimes it works, uh, and, and sometimes like uh, RDI this year it does not work. Uh, and then I have to set myself up for a rebuild. And so I, I tend to spend this time of year in my Dynasty and Keeper Leagues kind of examining what, ty- what type of team do I think I have? Do I have a team that I feel can compete right now? Or does this team need to be kind of torn down a little bit and rebuilt? Uh, and then, especially in like Keeper format, something like an AL only, NL only uh, auction keeper or any sort of auction keeper, I really start looking at previous year's drafts and seeing what kind of players were kept uh, at what prices and to kind of give me an idea of what the player pool might look at on draft day. And then I start prepping from there. So that's kind of the differences 
that I do in terms of uh, keeper and redraft. But for the most part, I approach most of my keeper slash dynasty leagues as redraft leagues, not worrying about the future. Um, and, uh, and and I'll, I'll pay for it later, but I, I want to win a championship as soon as I can. No. <laughs> yes. Oh, we have to do just a whole podcast on this still, Justin. You you and I will. We will sit down, whether it's on on this podcast, on TGFBI, or, or, or Friends of Fantasy Benefits. You and I will sit down and have a, have a long debate. conversation and debate about uh, yes. the different ways in which uh, uh, to to build a dynasty league uh, team. Uh, because, yeah, we both have a very, very different approaches. I, I I have seen firsthand that yours works. I know firsthand that mine that mine works as well. I've won a number of dynasty leagues, uh, and uh, but I've also lost a, a, a number of them too. So fair enough, fair enough. But I, I look forward to the to the full on debate. All right, let's uh, let's uh, move this debate over on to uh, talking about uh, some MLB free agents and uh, thoughts on uh, them in general. Thoughts on uh, maybe where they may end up, uh, and, and we got to start with uh, the number one free agent. That is Bryce Harper. Uh, Harper has been a polarizing player in the fantasy uh, community. He was a guy that uh, had a lot of hype coming up as a prospect, uh, and uh, delivered on it uh, in 2015 and, and 20, uh, but then 2016, 2017. Uh, we've had in 2018. We've had kind of mixed results. Um, he's going to get a huge contract. I don't know if either of you guys have thoughts on where he may go. Um, but why don't we start with you, Jason? What are your thoughts on Bryce Harper? So I think one of the things, one of the, I, I'm on a couple of these mailing lists uh, because of previous press access, I guess. But one of these things that came through the other day is that the Philadelphia Phillies are the are the have the best odds of signing both Harper and Machado. Yeah. I was like, wow. And they do have a lot of money. You go back and look, and I think we talked about this um, in August. I, I remember looking through and saying, wow, Philly has a very low committed payroll. Uh, but they have that the, they would be the odds of doing that. And that would be that would be crazy. Uh it allowed them to take a, a nice surge. I I will continue to believe I, I one of the things that comes in mind with with Harper is is getting back to since we're just gonna keep talking about great fantasy baseball players and, and I'm definitely not one of them. Uh as I look at my tout war standings, a historical just showed up on Twitter. Yikes. Um you know Rick Wolf and Glenn Colton, their smart system, one of the rules they have is don't buy a free agent coming off the just who just signed a big contract. And we know Harper is going to sign a massive contract. Uh, they're already talking. You know, I, I believe that Boris has already drawn the line in the sand at $400 million, uh, which is just insane to think about. Uh, but we're talking about a kid who's still uh, 26, and he just turned 26 last month. Uh, and it's, I think a change of scenery uh, is, is something that's needed here only because of the, you know, the pressure of being a one, one he's been on magazine cover since he was 16 years old. Uh, people want to laser focus on the batting average and just ignore the fact that he's an OBP machine. I mean, his, his career OBP is 388. His career batting average is still 279. If you're in, league, in that league format, uh, he just, he continues to produce and I'm willing to take the – I'd say I'm willing you – know, pointing back to Rick and Glenn's uh, rule on that, I'm willing to pay like 95% of market value on him. 
I'm not willing to go like I'm 105 percent right. But I mean, is he a first rounder for me anymore? Uh, it's it's like the edge of the first round. There have been times where I paid a fifth overall pick for Bryce Harper. I'm not there anymore. Um, I, I'm still willing to go in the top 15, uh, yeah, but I'm closer to the back end of the first round than I am the mid. I don't think part. you need to pay a top five pick on him anymore. I think I think the top four is pretty set, and fifth is up for debate. I think for the most part, at least where I've been seeing him go, uh, he he's going in between like seven and ten, seven and twelve depending on the draft and I, I don't yeah i'm closer to 12 than seven like he was really 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 good in the second half you know he hit 300 in the second half uh stole seven bases still uh still had power um i you know i know he struggled especially with the shift uh early on in the season yeah. but i'm i'm willing to buy in if there's any discount i don't think there will be Personally, I think he's going to be going in the top 10, but I, I'm actually okay with that price. Well, what about you, Ian? Are you okay with that price? I've never owned Bryce Harper in my whole life. I've never owned him. Um, I've never paid for him. I've never uh, liked him to the level that other people um, have liked him. I, I, I look at him in a similar way to Machado in a way. As a Yankee fan, please do not sign Bryce Harper, and please do not sign Manny Machado. I'll talk more about Machado. I think I'm going first on that one. I got a lot to say. But on Bryce Harper, the thing about Harper to me is he's not, uh, and there are going to be people who hate this, but I do not think he is a winning ball player. He is the best player on his team, whatever team he's on, unless you know he goes to you know uh, Trout's team. He's an amazingly talented player. But he's not a good leader. He's a bad leader. And it costs the Nationals. It's part of the reason why they have not won a playoff series. Um, or did they win one? I think they won one a couple of years ago. But, you know, that, that moment of uh, Papelbon where we everyone got on Papelbon. I don't know if people got on Papelbon. But I looked at Papelbon. I was like, you're damn straight. If, you're, if you hit a pop-up, as far as I'm concerned, you bust your ass down that line. That's something I really don't have any patience for with any player. And... Uh, <laughs> No, none, none, because I think that it hurts your team. I think that, uh, you know, uh, again, back to the psychology of the game of baseball, Alex Cora is a magnificent manager. I didn't even speak about this with the Red Sox, but he sets such an amazing tone on a team. Well, part of the reason he was able to set that amazing tone is because his best player is Mookie Betts, who's also his hardest working player and the guy who's in the dirt doing everything, running out every ground ball. That's what Dirk Jeter did back in the day. Uh, and I have my, some complaints about Jeter, but overall, that guy came to play 162 games a year. You're going to run fast four times a game. There are four times in a baseball game, or maybe five, where you hit a baseball and you need to run and sprint. In a football game, you run 400 times at full speed. If you can't run four times down the line, you're a punk. And watching Bryce Harper um, deal with umpire punk, that's what I say. And so to add four hundred dollars to give four hundred million dollars to a player who I don't see as a, a championship player, I think is a mistake. And I think the Philadelphia Phillies will make that mistake. Uh, you, I hope Bryce Harper's listening. And this this is a Yankees fan saying this: <laughs> the Giants will love you no matter what you do. I mean, Barry Bonds sat in a Barker lounger out in left field for like a decade and didn't like play any defense. Like you can you can. 
you can come uh, you can come bring that attitude uh, to San Francisco if you'd like because I, that's I, actually I, a great platform too. That I, is a great platform. They, there's no way they get him because I mean he doesn't want to play for a team that's rebuilding. I'm sure, um, but uh, we, we would love to have you. You would be welcome. Well, we we've definitely had huge personalities and dealt with them just fine. So uh, I think he ends up in Philadelphia uh, as well. Uh, I don't think they're going to get Manny Machado, uh, who is next up on the docket. And Ian, I'll, I'll let you start. Give me your thoughts on Manny Machado. I think you alluded a little bit to him right there. Listen, man, M- Manny Machado. As a from a fantasy perspective, I owned him in GDD this past year because I got him for thirty two dollars, and it was too good of a deal not to take. And he helped me win a championship. So there's a piece of me with Manny Machado where I go, out of blame, Manny. That being said, from a real baseball perspective, he is a self-first player. He should be at third base. He should not be at shortstop. He's not as good a shortstop as, the. let's say, he came to the Yankees. If we move Didi Gregorius off of shortstop to put Manny at shortstop because that will make Manny happy, I'm not interested. What he did in that World Series cost the Dodgers. I'm not saying they lost the series because of Machado, but I can certainly say he did not help them win. Not just with his bad play at the plate, but also the way he was playing the game. He was a dirty player. He's a dirty player who just he said it himself. He said, I, I'm not a Johnny Hustle guy. Well, all right, if you're not a Johnny Hustle guy, let's get a Johnny Hustle guy in there. That's who I would prefer to see on a team. Not, not some guy who's going to decide when to run out of ball. I think it was in game, it was in the World Series that he didn't run out a double play ball. He didn't run. And I was like, if you're not going to run then, when are you going to freaking run? So to me, again, you put him on whatever team you put him on, he becomes the leader of that team. As we see in politics, as we see in life, your leader is your most important. As an actor, if I'm on a television show, the person who's number one on the call sheet is, like in basketball, the best player on that team is the heartbeat of that team. And people follow that lead. Manny Machado is your heartbeat. You're not as good as you're going to be otherwise. He's not worth $400 million, in my opinion. I think that's an interesting point because I mean you're you're an actor you're in Hollywood. We we I'm not I'm not an actor or in Hollywood uh, for 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 clarification purposes. But, um, but we know that uh, or we hear us us uh, us us normal people, um, the ones who are less talented than you, sir. Uh, we hear the stories about the diva <laughs> actors and actresses that uh, are. Uh, them first and 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 want to do their own thing and a lot of them are very talented very successful make very good films and tv shows uh i think that's that, that's that's manny machado he he's gonna be uh he's gonna be him he's gonna do him and he's he's not gonna really care about you know being a leader or any of that but it doesn't mean he can't be successful and he won't be successful for a team uh i, I disagree with you on that one i think he ends up in the new york yankee uniform uh, playing third base, uh, he'll 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 fill in at shortstop while Didi's uh, uh, rehabbing. But I, right. I, I think he's he'll he'll move over to third base uh, because Didi is the superior defensive player. Uh, uh, and and Duhar and Duhar can't field third base. Duhar is um, going to either be a trade chip or or move over to first or replace Greg Bird, who can't hit. Well, no, he'd have to replace my boy Luke Voigt, who can hit, and my boy Luke who plays the game like he's 12 years old and he's super excited, and when he high-fives you, he breaks your shoulder. <laughs> Luke Voigt is a great story, but he's he, he, he is a flavor of the minute. 
he, he Luke Voigt has power to the opposite field. Luke Voigt has an amazing eye. Luke Voigt does throw. And that's all you so, need in Yankee Stadium is power to the opposite field. Uh, it went, honestly, I don't see how Machado doesn't end up with the Yankees. I think of he and Harper. Uh, Machado is going to sign first because we're talking about the same agent and they're and Machado and Harper. I don't think we'll get the same contract, but you're he Boris is going to want to get one sign to then establish the baseline of the other guy. And as you know, the one thing he's always good at doing is when he says he's going to get the next guy more, he gets the next guy more. Uh, you know, you still have he, his fallback plan always seems to be Mike Rizzo, Mike Rizzo and the Nationals. Okay, I need to get this sign. Hey, Mike. Okay, and it's done. Um, but there there are teams sitting with cash. And it, I mean, for me, the the Phillies. That's why the Phillies are the odds-on favorite for one of these two, if not both, because they're sitting on a ton of cash. They they structured their roster like this. They got good early on this past season ahead of schedule, and I think I said it back then. It reminded me a lot of in 2008 when the Rays got. They were a year ahead of schedule. You go back and talk to everybody. They didn't ever expect the 2008 to happen. That was supposed to happen in 2009. It came a year early, and I think that same thing happened with Philly this past year. Is they got good early out of the gate, and then Cape Kepler's like, what? Who, what? Reliever, 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 um, and just got super aggressive with uh, some different things and tried some different things, but eventually, uh, you know, the marketplace wasn't ready for it. Uh, their their media, media market, now they should be. They know where things are coming from, and you can add one or both of these pieces to that equation. Uh, it's going to take a personality like him to to work with these young guys uh when you talk about i mean kapler was a manager i believe he was a player coach in the minors at one point but he was a manager early out of the gate uh, and you know he will uh i think he's the type of manager that will be needed i would i would be worried like you Ian, about machado going to new york with uh, with the media market i mean yes he he just played over in la in the postseason that was for a couple of uh, just a couple of months He's been in Baltimore. Baltimore's not a huge media market. There's not a lot of pressure. If you don't run out of grounder, nobody's going to care for the most part. You come to New York City, you don't run out of grounder, people are going to care. We're going to boo. We're going to boo if he does not run out of grounder. And we're going to be right. Yeah, I think the same thing with Price. I mean, I made the price. I made the point with Price when he went from when he went from Tampa Bay, where there's two beat writers, to Boston, where there's twenty. Um, when Carl Crawford did the same thing, when you don't have that exposure to that that full time exposure. Now, you know, when they're when they're when you're a visitor and you go there, you're still only mainly talking to your local beat guys, and sometimes the the opposers uh, the opposing beat writers will come over, but they're not all coming over in droves. But when you're dealing with that media market pressure where you've got multiple media outlets and and multiple writers from those media outlets, and they're asking you questions. Why didn't you run this one out? Why didn't you do this? Uh, it's it, it's something to consider. I don't know how much we give that for fantasy purposes, but well, again, you know, there's, a, fantasy, there's a huge spotlight on this. You can get a good price on them. If you yeah. can get a good price on Machado, I got him for $32 last year. That was a really good price for a, a top-level bat. I'm talking more the real baseball game and talking about winning championships and the kind of players that you need to have on your team. Guys like Giancarlo Stanton who struggled, like what Rick and Glenn say, the, that wasn't a free agent contract, but it has that same vibe. Your first year in New York, if you look back to Roger Clemens, Alex Rodriguez, all of these you know, should be Hall of Fame or you know, great players. They struggle in their first year. Well, Stanton stood there every day and took it and acknowledged it. 
And that's important in New York. And I just, Manny's, you know, Manny's Manny. Manny's being Manny. It's like Manny Ramirez 2.0. All right. Uh, Let's uh, let's move on and talk about another guy who is a free agent leaving the uh, Chase Field in Arizona in the humid orb. Uh, Patrick Corbin's going to hit free agency and be considered the top, if not one of the top, pitching arms uh, on the market. Another guy who could end up in New York uh, as the Yankees look for a little boost to their starting rotation. Uh, Jason, what are your thoughts on Patrick Corbin? Oh, um... I, I have, we would talk about where he's going to go. Really have a tough time not seeing him in a New York Yankee uniform either. Uh, you know, getting him out of Arizona will be nice. Getting him out of the NL West would be nice. Bringing him into the if he comes to the AL East, it's it's not a friendly environment uh, in a number of places. But I really like the step forward he took last year, especially with the strikeout rate and, and his the way he approached his approach to pitching. And it was just fantastic when you when you look at the the growth from the NL West. That even a lot of people, if you just want to use the straight FIP, he actually underperformed. He could have been even better than that uh, last year. So I'm excited to see where he's going to be uh, and if he gets paid like an ace. I mean, he certainly put up the numbers of one last year, uh, even if it was a quiet one. I would just worry about the with coming out of the going to AL East is uh, is a bit tough because four fifths of those parks are extremely friendly run environments and even pitching in, in Yankee stadium being a lefty with Death Valley and left center. That's, that's helpful, but it's still, it's still a friendly run environment. Uh, I would, for his, for his fantasy value, I would like to see him elsewhere. I mean, if he goes to the Yankees, obviously that should help his wins. Uh, the ratios may come up, but let's see where else he can go. Uh, I'm excited to see what he's capable of with another team. Uh, just a little less excited if he ends up being with the Yankees. Yeah. Ian, would you be excited for a Patrick Corbin in a Yankee uniform? And uh, uh, what are your thoughts on him? Yeah, yeah, sure. I mean, he'd be great. I, I think the price is a big question. I mean, do you get paid for 246 strikeouts, 3.15 ERA, and a 1.05 whip, or do you get paid for your arm troubles for the last six years? Right. Um, or do you get paid somewhere in the middle? Uh, there's no questioning how he threw last year. He was so impressive. I mean, his walk-to-strikeout ratio is amazing. Whip is something that is I'm, – I'm always looking at whip because whip tells a, a – to me, tells a great story. Um, and Corbin would be a great addition for five years and $90 million. If he's five years and $200 million, that scares me. <laughs> or five years and $150 million, that scares me. Um, is he going to get paid like Clayton Kershaw? I, I, I don't know. I like Kucheni. Uh, I, I'm not sure if I'm saying his name right. I like him coming out as well, and I think he'll be a more reasonable buy for the Yankees. Uh, and uh, I think him. he's going to uh, the Padres. Yeah, I think one thing that stands out with, with Corbin uh, was the, the step forward last year was adding the curveball because yeah, he's never really been able to throw a changeup, and that's hurt him against the against the right-handers. Well, if you can throw, if you can find the third pitch, it helps. So he has a, he has a, he added a curveball last year, and a good curveball can work as a changeup. And you look at his body of work against right-handers, and last year was a significant step forward. I mean, in 2017, roughly 650 batters faced, 20 home runs allowed against righties. Last year, 625 batters faced, 11. And you go by weighted on base average, 334, 310, 340, 363, 349. And then last year, 254. 
Uh, so he that was really the one thing holding him back. And I was I was a Corbin detractor coming into the season because of that issue. That's what and he came through and and turned that around. And that's a, a 624 uh, batters face. That's a significant amount of sample size. I think you need about 850 until that stabilizes. So we have a little bit of, we still have some wiggle room there, but that's a noticeable jump forward uh for him. And that was the one thing that was that was holding his ratios back. Uh, and so you're looking to say, well wow, why do you make that kind of ERA jump? That's where it came from. I was a detractor of Corbin coming into the season and during the season, uh which did not play out particularly well for me. Uh he did have this odd velocity drop mid season. Uh, which I was very, very fearful of and was uh, telling people to jump off board. Uh, he went from throwing 92 to all of a sudden not being able to get above 90 uh, in certain starts, and then it came back all of a sudden. So I, I don't know if he was dealing with some sort of injury and just pitching through it or what was going on if he was just trying something different. Uh, I, I can't imagine you would change something up when you were so successful early on in the season. Um, I, I am worried about the long-term health of him, and I would not want him in terms of, uh, you know, on my team necessarily, on my, my real-life team for a long-term contract, because he's going to get paid, and he's going to get quite a bit of money, and I think the back half of that contract, whatever it is, is probably not going to be super pretty. Uh, that being said... For fantasy, I'm probably lower than the the industry for the most part on Corbin. Uh, like I said, I've just I've never been a fan, and I, I do worry about the the, the health history uh, with him. So I probably won't get him, but I think he is still probably a top twenty five starter coming into next year, uh, depending yeah, on where he ends. For up. Sure. Yeah, but I, you know what? I, I I just keep hearing Milwaukee. I don't know why. I, th- I think Milwaukee is going to be a player. Milwaukee's Man, probably, they need it. <laughs> they're, they're, I think they're going to do something, um, but they I think he it. ends up in New York. He's going to, I mean, I think he's going to get paid, and I think he's going to get more than our next guy, who is Dallas Keuchel, who I do think will end up in Milwaukee, and I think that would be an interesting spot for him. Uh, Ian, what are your thoughts on Dallas Keuchel? You know, I I always go back to the, uh, the playoffs when he would just dominate the Yankees and just toy with them. Uh, but the he's, you know, I think he wasn't he wasn't terribly strong last year, and the the velocity is down across the board for him. I think that he's going to be, but I also think he is a hard worker, and he's going to come in, you know, lights out. But I, I think he's going to get a three year, thirty nine million dollar contract, something like what Jay Happ got a couple of years ago, and uh, he'll have his ups and downs. But I, I don't think he's an ace anymore. Uh, Jason, do you think Keiko's still an ace? I don't. I mean, when you when you lack the dominant, I mean, he has to have not pristine command, but excellent command to for his stuff to play up. He has to be able to work. And we saw we saw some of that. So in sixteen, amazing. Seventeen, people stopped swinging at stuff on the fringes, and he had to come to the strike zone, got hit hard. This season, he started off, if I have my timeline right, he started off back where he was 16, where he was able to hit his spots, and then things slipped off, and then his numbers slipped off. He has to be able to pitch on the fringes of the strike zone to be successful. I think part of it this year is he would, in a few of the games I watched, he would get behind and be like, you know what, I'm going to go ahead and walk that guy. I don't want to throw him a strike. I'm going to go ahead and pitch to the next guy. But he has to be able to get uh, get into those uh, pitch effectively to those spots. And it, it's, a, it's that margin of error 
that I, I worry about. I mean, that, that line gets once they if people stop swinging, his we've seen his value drop off. And I honestly, I have somewhat of the same concern with with uh, Trevor Williams. And the fastball grades out really well, but it's the one he has to get that stuff. But with Trevor Williams, uh, that's part of my concern as well this year. Yeah, the slider just was not a dominant pitch. And it was actually a negative uh, pitch for Keuchel uh, based on uh, uh, Fangraph's pitch values, which it's, it's always been one of his best, if not his sometimes his best, pitch and without it he's just not getting the swing and miss that you're talking about Jason and that that's concerning to me the one thing I mean I, I love about Keuchel is he gets a ton of ground balls he lets the defense do the work for him uh, I think he could survive in an environment like Milwaukee but I'm gonna need to see him throw in spring training before I'm gonna invest very much in him and I don't know if uh if I'm going to be willing to buy in, I think he's going to end up in Milwaukee. I think Milwaukee goes out and makes one one big purchase for that uh, rotation, and I'm going to guess it's Keuchel. Uh, I would not be what they need. <laughs> uh, so I want to look. I want to look at their payroll because I mean they should have. They should be sitting on a a nice amount of cash. Uh, yeah, they they need something on that uh, on that in that rotation. I mean, they've got they they need somebody to front it. I mean, they've got so I'm looking at 2019. They have 115 million dollar estimated payroll according to uh, Baseball Reference. They have a number of guys in arbitration: Ryan Braun with a big contract, 19, Kane 15, Yelich nine nine and three quarters, Thames uh, at six, Shashin 6.75, Chase Anderson six and a half, Matt Albers two and a half, uh, Jeffries at 3.2, and then everybody else is in arbitration. Uh, with and with some, some prediction, are, some of them are going to be more expensive than others. I mean, a guy like oh, like Jonathan Scope. Jonathan Scope is projected at ten point. He's going to get. I think. I don't think he. I think he gets non tender. Yeah, I was just about to say that. I think he he's a non tender candidate. But a guy like Shaw is going to be more expensive uh, than he was last year. Canable's going to probably go up a little bit. The Thames is probably going to go up uh, quite a bit. So uh, it's. I, I mean, I think they've got enough money to make a push, and I think this is a team that really went for it, and the ownership really went for it this year, and uh, I think that'll carry over. They're, they're a team that is trying to be on the rise. So, Well, Thames is under contract. It's the, it's the last guaranteed year of that three-year deal he signed when he came over, uh, and there's a player option tied onto that. Uh, I, I kind of see him as a trade chip, given that he's a, a liability in the field. Uh, and he's really should be a DH and he can't hit lefties at all. I mean, this is one of these where I could see them trying to free up some cash by trading him for a low level guy. Mm. All right, let's, uh, we're going to finish out with two guys real quick. Um, we're going to talk about Josh Donaldson and AJ Pollock. I'll start with you this time, Jason. Uh, who do you think, uh, is the better player for fantasy? Do you have any ideas of where these guys are going to go? Um, or, you know, are you buying or selling these two guys? So, you know, Eno had a piece over at the athletic the other day about Donaldson Who? and looking, yeah, that guy, um, <laughs> some guy I saw in Arizona, mm. curly hair, Never heard um, of him. yeah, great beer. Um, always has great beer though. Yeah. So, so he, uh, at work, he was very good. <laughs> he's good on TV. Yeah, he was good. 
Although it, it's better live when he's when he's buzzed trying to podcast and it just goes on a roll and starts yelling at the microphone. Uh, but he had a piece that talked about uh, about Donaldson and where the exit velocity has been. It, it's 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 waning somewhat, but not much. And I really where I look at Donaldson, I, I want to see how Donaldson and Cruz play out uh, in free both their free agents. I want to see how the two of them play out because. I, I, honestly, at this point, I think the pursuit of both would be around their bat more so. I mean, Donaldson obviously can play third base. That's not a problem. But the health and being able to hold up, if you're going to sign Donaldson, you're, the back half of that deal is going to be more t- with DH in mind than possibly him staying in the field all day long. Um, I've, all, I've been a Josh Donaldson fan since before he was even on the scene. I mean, this was a guy that I was on in the minor leagues, was very happy with, um, had him everywhere. Uh, and even the same thing with Cruz. I was a Cruz fan before he was uh, designated for assignment by the Rangers and nobody picked him up, uh, dating back to 2008. So of the two, I want Donaldson because despite the recent health issues, he doesn't have the ones that Pollock has had every single year. It's a shame with Pollock. I mean, we missed his prime. This was the last couple of years were supposed to be the, the time to enjoy A.J. Pollock and each one of the last three seasons has been abbreviated. I mean, we have uh, I'm gonna hide the number, but I know each we have uh, 12 games played, 112, 113 in his entire career. We've had one season with more than 482 plate appearances. That's and we just got robbing. This was the, this gold age. I mean, now he's AJ Pollock is turning 31 years old next month and we it was nice we saw some pieces of the season the 20 steals and 17 to 21 home runs last year uh the bat the 300 batting average at one point but he's never been able to do all of that in one single season well that day back 15 the one season he stayed healthy all of that was there eight the diamondbacks signed a deal with him and then things fell apart and i'm, I'm more i can't get over the recency bias that's the last three years of eh so I I would rather have Donaldson uh, on a shorter term contract because Pollock's probably going to get a four year deal and I I don't want my team signing him to a four year deal. Ian, I, I think they're both. I think they're the Lance Lynn of this year. I think they're both going to be on one year contracts. Uh, I think that AJ Pollock is going to be the new center fielder for the San Francisco Giants. Oh please oh, don't man, say that. What a gut punch! Oh that was mean. <laughs> and I, I don't think he's old deal. enough. I think he's going to be a great deal, and I think he's going to be a great fantasy deal this season because I think that he's um, he, his stock is super low uh, because he can't stay healthy. But when he is healthy and he is playing, he is a great fantasy player. Um, and I think that Donaldson, you know, I could see Donaldson anywhere from going back to Cleveland, going to St. Louis. Um, I mean, I want to see him. This is a crazy idea, but I can see him on a three-year, $45 million deal uh, going to the New York Mets. I'm going to say that. Uh, I'm going to uh, say that I, I've never been an A.J. Pollock guy. Uh, I, I don't love the injury history. So uh, I I did see, I think the, uh, there was some a site out there that uh, agreed with you. I think it was MLB Trade Rumors or something. That, that said that he was going to go to the Giants. I don't think the Giants are going that direction. I think the Giants are going to start breaking things down and, and, and start this long overdue rebuild uh, after winning a few championships uh, years ago. So uh, I think Pollock is actually going to pair with Bryce Harper and go to Philadelphia. I think Philadelphia misses out on the Manny Machado sweepstakes. Nabs Harper, Nabs Pollock. 
uh, is able to shift Reese Hoskins back to first base uh, and just will kind of eat the money on uh, on Santana. Carlos Santana. So um, I or or maybe even trade Odebel Herrera. So. Uh, that's that's my prediction. Uh, Josh Donaldson, I believe he will end up in St. Louis. Uh, there there was rumors about him being traded there in the off season. They they have interest in him. Uh, I'll have to. By the way, by the way, rumor wise, did you see the story about the the Bryce Harper trade that didn't happen? Yes. Yeah. Could Astros. you? I mean, as a dynasty guy, could you could you believe Ian that the Nationals said, eh, I, don't, I don't want JB. I can't even pronounce his last name. Ukabakus. Yeah, <laughs> if, 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 if I pronounce it, I'm going to pronounce it. Uh, was was it NC17. Was it the pitcher? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was straight up for Harper. Uh, and, yeah. No, not even no, straight there up. Was there was like players. two other guys. There was three players for mm-hmm. Harper, and the Nationals at the last second said no. Yeah, there's no, no way. There's no way the comp- the compensatory pick would be worth more than that. I mean, that that yeah, was nuts about the that. Problem is- there was still, you know, we also saw that the Nationals reached out to him with a 10-year, $300 million contract or something this past week. And I think that there's a, a, a strong piece of them that once they trade him, it's hard to bring him back. It just is. I mean, it sort of breaks that bond because then you're not a player who's played on the same team forever. Yeah. And to keep Harper, because for, for Bryce Harper's future as a Hall of Fame player, hopefully for him a Hall of Fame player, his best chance is to stay in Washington and grow up and improve and become the guy that he was supposed to become. As soon as he starts dancing around, he's just A-Rod. I mean, that's that's kind of what he is. He's a less talented Alex Rodriguez uh, team killer. Um, but, yeah, I can understand why they pass on that. But Scott, he's really short, and he, he's going to be a reliever, I think. It, I don't was, think- uh, yeah. it, it was Harper, uh, Garrett Stubbs, and a player to be named later. They agreed upon it. The ownership said – no, it was a great article on The Athletic uh, by Ken Rosenthal. Uh, implore you to go go read that and give him some clicks. Um, I'm not surprised they did it either, or they uh, the ownership said no either, because I think the ownership really thought they'd have a chance to re-sign him. Yeah, and, and I, still, I think they still do have a chance to re-sign him. I, I do too, but they're yeah, going to have to open up their, their checkbooks a little bit more than they already have. But that's a conversation you pull the player in. Hey, we have an opportunity. We we want you. We want you this offseason. We have an opportunity to help the long to help the club's long term future if we trade you. But please understand, we're going to be ag- aggressive as all get out trying to, to sign you in the in the offseason. And yeah, I don't. At the end of the day, I mean, because I look back, you look if you flip around when the when the Yankees traded Aroldis Chapman for Glaber Torres, they went back and got Chapman. Yeah, but uh, they, and so it helped them, you know, helped them out in that capacity too. But to the comparison between Glaber Torres and Boots, uh, him is not close. No. Torres, Torres is a is a, is is a real you know a real piece. Um, but I, I and I'm I could be wrong. I'm gonna double check. Bukakis is a um, he he's pretty much major league ready, I believe. If uh, it wasn't for Forrest Whitley, he would be the top pitching prospect yes, in the Astros organization. Him. So, and yeah. Whitley's just insanely good, and so that's you know, when you look at the type of quality. Uh, you know, he may be the second best in the Astros, but he would probably be the best in a lot of other organizations. For sure, just my opinion. And the, and this is a Nationals team that you know traded away Gio Gonzalez, who who's a free agent as well, and um, could definitely use some uh, youth added into that rotation. So. 
Um, I mean, I don't have him. I don't have him close to that high, highly ranked in the Astros organization. Just personally, I mean, I've got like guys ahead of him. Um, I mean, if Josh James, I have Josh James ahead of him, and uh, Kyle Tucker's ahead of him, and Jordan Alvarez ahead of him. Um, those guys are. I mean, I I, 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 I would have all those guys ahead of him too. But I mean, the the Astros have a really stacked system. Yeah, Buka 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 uh, <laughs> Yeah, I see. I I didn't want to risk it just because uh, <laughs> this is our tribute to Eno. Yeah. <laughs> this is where we need Eno back on the podcast. Say, all right, Eno, pronounce his last name. Uh, just for reference, uh, Eric Loggenhagen had uh, him as the number four prospect coming into the season uh, for the Astros. So, and Garrett Stubbs as the number fifteen prospect coming into the season. So yeah, I mean if Jordan Alvarez listen, if Jordan Alvarez was in that offer, if it was Alvarez for Harper. Yeah. Oh um, for sure. Yeah. yeah. And if, if it was Kyle, it wouldn't be Kyle Tucker. Um, but Jordan Alvarez might have been in that deal. And then that makes a whole lot of sense. But it's the opportunity to hold him. It's almost like in basketball where it's like, you know, we're gonna hold you and it, that the hometown discount will come into play. I think his chances of signing with the Nationals would drop from like what it's thirty percent right now to like two percent, um, and so Bukakasis is not worth that to me or Stubbs. If uh, if you think that you are better at choosing where the free agents will go, I have a little uh, free agent pool that I uh, uh, threw out on Twitter on on my Facebook page. Uh, if Paul let me, I'll uh, I'll do a little article piece and and, and post a link to it there. Uh, on fan graphs, uh, uh, and it, it's free to enter. Uh, I'm going to give uh, the, the person who does the best, uh, I'll, I'll buy them a, a shirt from Rotoware from the Justin Mason collection. So. Absolutely. <laughs> I want that shirt. <laughs> so That's a lot of choices, though, man. There's like yeah, 15 there's shirts 12. with your face on it. Oh, there's, there's 12. There's, I, I pulled 15 out of the air. <laughs> there's, there's, tw- there's 12, um, and uh, a new edition yesterday, uh, which would be number thirteen is my my daughter made a voodoo doll of me uh, because I <laughs> shaved my beard and trimmed my uh, and shaved my head um, and she made a paper voodoo doll and then my wife took a picture of it and put it on Twitter and uh, Kenneth from uh, from Rotoware made it into a T-shirt. It's also a woman's bathing suit and a pillow. Sure. sure. So uh, lo- lots of great. Uh, uh, apparel over at uh, rotoware.com, including the Sleeper on the Bus t-shirt, which I think there are a few uh, left uh, for purchase, but a ton of Justin Mason stuff. So Paul and I both had ours on in Arizona when we were doing the live podcast. I, I had mine on that day, too, just just in solidarity. Yeah. So, uh, And then, let's see. So uh, that's going to wrap us up for th- for this episode. Ian, do you have anything coming up uh, for you? Are, are you going to be... Uh, on TV? Are you going to be in a movie? What is going on in your professional I, life? I think there's a, I shot an episode of Elementary, the show with... Um, oh my god, that's my wife's favorite show. Okay, good. I think I'm on this week or next week. I, I, I'm not sure. I will tell you this about Lucy Liu. She's really short. <laughs> <laughs> She's immensely short. <laughs> She's so... And John Lee Miller, also very good guy. Uh, Lucy Liu, tiny. Like put her in your pocket and go for a walk. Like just, wow. Like four eleven. So I did an episode of Sex in the City many years ago, many many years ago, uh, where I played Sarah Jessica Parker's boyfriend, and I was so in love with her when I was a kid from Square Pegs. I don't know if you guys remember Square Pegs. Um, and and then I met her, and I was like, oh my god, you're like 
four foot ten. You're the tiniest little thing. And Lucy Liu is in that same Sarah Jessica Parker height. All right. So in all fairness, Wikipedia lists Lucy Liu at five foot three. I'm guessing she was measured no, in stiletto boy, heels. <laughs> that's that's with really five foot three. Yeah. Five foot three and Jessica Parker also five foot. Uh, Sarah Jessica Parker also five foot three. Oh, guys, no, 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 no. That's, they're, 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 this is they're they're shorter than that. Both tiny. Well, the good news is, is I, I guess I'm six nine um, by the same measuring scale. <laughs> Uh yeah yeah I'm 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 six foot five by that scale. <laughs> but I'm go- you know I'm, I'm I'm doing a lot of cool stuff. I'm going to Virginia tomorrow, uh, where I shot Turn, and they're flying me out there to give a speech about um, what it was like to live in Virginia, work in Virginia, and play George Washington. So I, I, you know the George Washington is staying with me for sure, and I'm I'm grateful for that. Are you going to Williamsburg for that? No, but I did go to. I did. We did. Uh, we did spend some time in Williamsburg on the show, on on turn. the The series finale was shot a lot at Colonial Williamsburg. See, I just assumed the whole. I assumed that a lot of it was was filmed there. A lot was, but I I didn't show up in Colonial Williamsburg till the final episode because they Williamsburg. I think we used it for New York a lot, and Washington didn't. General Washington didn't make it back to New York until that final moment. What did you use for Philadelphia? We also Probably used Colonial. <laughs> we used Colonial. We actually, now that I think about it, Benedict Arnold was at Colonial Williamsburg all the time, and so we used uh, Colonial Williamsburg for Philadelphia, and we also had set pieces that we had built at the studio gotcha. for all these different places. Uh, but Colonial Williamsburg is awesome. I have it to is. Say. I really went there cool. for my ten year. Was it ten year anniversary? I think. Yeah, I think it was our ten year anniversary. We went there. It's really cool. It's really cool to look at the look at the country. For I remember, I went as a kid. I was like, "This is boring." In fact, I baseball. I said to the I said to one of the workers, "I was such a pain in the ass kid," and I was like, "So, you know, what do you think of the Yankees?" I'm like um, the Yankees, because you know they have to pretend that they're living in 1776. Right. And they say, "Oh yes, those Northerners, the Yankees." My uh, my daughter's going will be in Williamsburg this spring. All fifth graders uh, here in Charlotte. Well, at least my my son did it in fifth grade, but my daughter's doing it again this year. Um, they're going to Williamsburg in March or April for their fifth grade field trip. Well, if you go up there, I got some friends up there, and I can uh, I can make some calls. Well, my wife uh, my wife's definitely chaperoning. I'm trying to angle it where I I go and and do some work while I'm up there. Um, but my wife's definitely going. Colette, you, you are the, the hardest traveling man in the world. I have, <laughs> there's no one who travels more than you do. You know, it's been weird, though. I, I was home for most of the spring. I'm actually losing my diamond status. I'm only going to be platinum this year on Delta. Uh, oh, it's wow. a reflection. It's, it's been better at work because uh, I haven't had to fly uh, that much. But this last couple of weeks when I saw you, uh, then I had to go to Fort Myers to help my stepmom move into an independent care facility. Then I went immediately from there to Boston to uh, had to talk on a, uh, a support. It's this organization called Support Driven. It, it deals around technical support and services. Uh, they asked me to come speak to them about a product that we're using. So I did that, came home, did Halloween, then went to first pitch, came home from that, just spent this past week in Nashville, uh, I'm home for a few days, and I'm back in Boston uh, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday this week, and wow. then I'm done. Then, uh, then I'm done until I got to go to Chicago at the end of the month. So and then yeah. you come to New York and Springs for Tout and for two. Uh, two. Oh, I'm sure I'll be there before Tout Wars at least right. twice. 
I'll see you there. You got anything uh, going on article-wise, Jason, that you want to plug? I've uh, been working on been working on a lot of the player capsules at Rotowire. Just turned one in this morning about some guys uh, looking at the times through the order penalty. I know I talked about it a lot throughout the year, um, but there are some guys Yeah, I mentioned in the article, Jake Odorizzi, uh, just got pounded the third time through the order. Paul Molitor kept leaving him in there. I think Rocco Baldelli is going to have a nice influence there. Um, it, it may impact Odorizzi strikeouts a little bit, but if, if Rocco takes him out earlier than Paul Molitor was willing to, it's really going to help Odorizzi's ratios. I look at Luke Weaver. Um, I actually look at uh, Matt, Matthew Boyd, who was unlucky um, in that regard. When I looked at expected weighted on a base average at the third time through the order, he's one of those guys that stood out and said, you know what? He was he should have done better than he did. Um, uh, but then looked at Ronaldo Lopez, who weirdly enough, his best pitching comes when he stays in the game long. First time through, yuck. Second time, uh. And then if he stays in the game, he's doing really well. Uh, and so there, and Carlos Rodon was another one like that. But I just took a look at some guys who I thought were at the extreme fortunate end and the unfortunate end as we look for everything to come back to the middle. So guys to think about, hey, oh, I'm going to go ahead and pursue that one because I like what I saw. But eh, you know, we want to keep this in mind. And some other guys that maybe you're overlooking – because they didn't do so well um, in, in that particular area. And, uh, you know, Derek Rodriguez is another one that comes in mind. Derek Rodriguez, his third time through the order, we're talking about a guy who was strictly pitched to contact, about a four and a half uh, K per nine uh, in that regard, and it had a lot of batted ball fortune behind him. Uh, so when you're looking for a reason for a sophomore slump, it's a, it's a good thing to look at. Is he had a lot of fortune as he stayed late in the game. If that doesn't break his way again, stuff could come up. And uh, you can listen to me on this podcast, obviously, uh, on the Friends of Fantasy Benefits Baseball and Football Podcast, uh, the Great Fantasy Baseball Invitational Podcast, uh, and then uh, read all my stuff, Fangraphs, Fantasy Alarm for Baseball and Football, uh, and Friends of Fantasy Benefits for Baseball and Football as well. So, uh, yeah, that is going to wrap us up. Ian, thank you so much for joining us. Guys, always fun. Always fun. Thanks for having me. Yeah, great to have you back. And... um... Yeah, we can do it again. Uh, you know what? What's next Sunday? Um, today's the 11th, 18th. I'm good for next Sunday. Awesome. It was that Thanksgiving weekend where we I am kinda, taking we can change it Thanksgiving up weekends from, off. From now on, we can change it up because I'm on uh, I'm on paternity leave. So Perfect. If we, if yeah, we Thanksgiving weekend, we can do something. Sundays, whatever. I'm just looking yeah. out for the guys. You need me. <laughs> well, and, and Paul's not allowed back on with you until he, he actually watches turn. No, he doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. Take care. All right. Take care, guys.